0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another Startup Band podcast. This is the first time I've actually recorded something with Graham in the same country, because he's normally in London and I'm in Dublin. And you're back in Ireland
1: now, but you're still down in Cork. Yeah, how weird is that to say that we have recorded one of these in the same country. But uh... I know. I know, it's, so weird. It's brilliant being back. I, I've been because obviously um, this was sort of a a last minute thing. Maybe I've mentioned it on just the last podcast, but um, it wasn't planned for that long. But I did want to get back and see see family and see friends. And for anyone that doesn't know, the rules in Ireland is a fourteen day quarantine period. Um, so I couldn't be in a. Um, I've spent basically what eleven, twelve weeks in, in an apartment in London. I didn't want to be in an apartment here, so I'm actually in Cork which is a beautiful part of Ireland, if anyone doesn't know. So, quarantining here, so I have a week left, um, and then I can go see friends and family. So, very excited about that. It must be strange, because when we're over in
0: London, we're, we're pretty much smack bang in, in the centre of London, in Shoreditch, and you're surrounded by nothing but, but buildings. You can't even see the horizon. Mm. Compared to where you are now, where you're down, you know, it's beautiful where you are. You're down beside a lake, yeah. uh, massive
1: garden, massive house. So, it must be strange for you. Yeah, it is, but but you know what, and I keep saying this, and and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I I think, obviously, a city is great for many reasons, and uh, and Shoreditch is brilliant, and but when you compare the price of the apartment in in Shoreditch versus what this is, it just makes it seem crazy. Um, you know, it's so peaceful. Y- you get so much work done, and then you know, in the evening times. You know, when you close the laptop, it's, it's countryside, it's fresh air, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and it's, it's cheaper, you know, it's, it's cheap. This, this place in Cork that is on a lake, a lakeside house is cheaper than a, a, um, a one bedroom apartment in Shoreditch. <laughs> hang on a minute
0: there do you say when you close your laptop in the evening so yeah. i'm the only, i'm the only one working in the yeah evening exactly
1: yeah i met in the kayaks in the evening time yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh no it's class it's really good being back and and, and i think we've, we've seen you know twitter and we've seen instagram people getting to see their families again and, and uh, i can't wait that's me next week so it's it's a great place to be and the wi-fi is good four times faster than the wi-fi in shortage so let's talk about the guests that we actually
0: have on today's show, because we've got a really exciting company and brand. We've got the CMO Julian Hearn um, of Huel on the show today, who's going to talk to us about all his marketing
1: tips and tricks that he went through. Yeah, this is the second time Julian's featured on, on Startup Fan. Obviously, we we spent a bit of time with Julian last year, kindly showed us around his office, which is which again, you know, Ju- Julian and Huell don't always do things no- the normal way. And his office is an example of that. Um, uh, people that have seen the video would Julian showed us right in his office, which is not in shortage, which which you may assume it might be, but it's um, out in the countryside. Beautiful office. I think it was WeWork designers who designed his office. Uh, but this is this is his second feature on the show. But this is this is better than the first time because it's super in depth. We go right into marketing, and, and and this is a great one.
0: Just speaking of his um, his
1: office, the gym that he has in the office is better than my local gym here. <laughs> Yeah, he's put put in a lot of effort with that space, and and I think people people love it. People when I was there and I, I spent the day with Julian, just, just staff is just super happy, right? And yeah, they can drive to work; they don't have to have a big commute on the tube or buses or messing around. They have the gym; they have all the fuel they can they can consume in, in fridges dotted around the place. It's it's a super cool spot.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to have him on the show because we always put out surveys to see where we can help our audience. And one of the biggest things that has come back has been marketing. And it's great to have the likes of Huel on because Huel is like the fastest growing um, uh, food brand in the UK at the moment. And it's really interesting what he's done because we talk about things like the T-shirt, the impact that the Huel T-shirt has ha- had, had, because that's where I first came across Huel. We also talk about getting the, the product right getting the packaging right and he's also quite um strong on, on, on putting forward that if you get the product right you need you can spend less on marketing c- because the product is so good it's a good
1: point you know and and Huel is just one of those brands that pe- people it's it's not easy to get a brand that people are willing to wear and <laughs> willing to to advertise around the place and he' have totally nailed it sometimes I I've I think I've said this in the podcast but I see more he t-shirts in the gym than Nike or adidas you know, it, yeah, uh, yeah. That's well,
0: as I sound. said, that, that's where I first came across it. I saw a Huel t-shirt and I was like, oh, okay. And then I saw another Huel t-shirt and that's where I was like, what is this? So I Googled it to see what it was. And, and, and that's where I came across Huel. So look, let's not go on about it for too much longer. Let's just get straight into
1: the show.
2: Yeah, it's one mm-hmm. all right.
1: Julian, thanks so much for joining us on the, on the podcast today. It's been, it's been a while since we caught up last
2: Yes, it has. Yeah, last time I think he was in the office, weren't you? Had a had a show around the office.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. That's probably nearly a year. Oh I think God.
2: about it. Time flies.
1: Yeah, time yeah and
0: fly. I I wasn't there for that one. Apologies.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a it was a good day. It was fun. The office is great. Um, I'm sure I'm sure most people listening have uh, have seen the video of the of the of the stroll around the office and the story behind it, which is uh, which was super cool of you of you showing us around that day. How how have things been? Obviously, were. What ten weeks into uh, in, into lockdown now, um, when we were curious to to see how things were going, your end?
2: Well, we're we're certainly in one of the sort of more lucky lucky categories. I mean, we ours is a food product, which is obviously an essential product, and um, uh, it's very long shelf life. And so, actually, we we had a massive spike in 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 March when the Corona was sort of kicked off in the UK. We just got a massive spike of uh, sales. So I think we were sort of fifty percent up month on month. Which um, yeah, normally wow, we're fifty percent wow. up year on year. That's really good, but we were actually fifty percent month on month. Um, so it was it was good in some ways, but um, you know I certainly shouldn't complain. But we had to scramble to make sure people had the the we had to stock in the right places, and it did cause yeah. us some problems because obviously you don't you don't sort if of, you can't forecast these sorts of things. It's like almost once in a lifetime. And um, and since then the sales have probably uh, probably just around forecast or just below. So I think a lot of people had probably bought ahead of uh, when they were normally going to buy and or stocked up extra. Mm. So over the, you know, over these last three months, I think it's probably going to even out that we're going to be up, but not massively up, but we're certainly not the, uh, some of the, you know, I feel really sorry for certain industries, such as the hospitality industries and the airline industries, holiday industries, you know, it's no fault of their own, but it's been a a major, a major hit on their, um, on their sales.
1: Yeah, and and just on that, there's been some some food brands um, uh, and FMCG brands that have kind of uh, the reputation has been damaged a bit, and it's not their fault. It's it's kind of down to uh, dem- obviously people can't ex- like you were saying people can't expect this demand. People couldn't plan for this demand, and a lot of time it was like people waiting longer than usual, uh, no communication there because obviously the teams were 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 small. And there was a huge response. How important is it to, to, to react quickly and create expectation around timings?
2: Yeah, very. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're again, we're lucky that we've, we're a, a D2C business, so we can change the website pretty much instantaneously. So mm. we started putting messages up quite quickly to say, you know, we're sorry, but due to this uh, you know pandemic, we're going to have to, uh, orders are going to be slowed down a little bit. And I think if you give people a heads up in general, that that is that makes a big, big difference. People then still get frustrated sometimes, they haven't got their orders, and then of course we got a spike in customer service calls. Um, but we did our best to get through it. And I think if you just, you know, manage expectations, you're 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 more than halfway there. I think that's the main thing. If it's the lack of communication typically is what really upsets people. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to try your best to get the product in the right place at the right time. But you know, with this sort of um, you know, spike in traffic, that was incredibly hard to do. So just letting people know we email people. You know, we had, we had daily trading meetings, we used to have weekly ones, we switched to daily and most of that was around stock, trying to make sure what stock do we need and where do we need it? Do we have to make some more stuff? So it was sort of, it was panic stations, but we, we got through it pretty well. What size
0: uh, is the team now in Huell?
2: Uh, it's about 100 people.
0: About 100 people. And how many of those had to work remotely?
2: Well, everybody has worked remotely now because uh, we don't do any production our, ourselves. That we use third party uh, manufacturers, um, oh, and we don't do the we don't do the logistics ourselves. So again, th- those two things, which were pretty fundamental, they had to be you know on site. That wasn't Hurl staff. So Hurl staff is all the other sort of head office functions, and um, so everybody could work from home, apart from there was a few people from our new product development team who had to go into the office. Because uh, we have a pilot plant in our in our main office in Tring, and so they could go into the office and still use the kitchen, still use the the facilities, but they sort of went in, you know, just one person at a time to ensure there was no sort of uh, spread of the virus.
1: And yeah, t- to
2: date, we've been very lucky; nobody at Huel out of the hundred people, as far as we we know, have um, had the coronavirus. So we've been we've been very lucky.
1: Really really good, uh, obviously you know, as I said, a lot of people that are listening to this would have would have seen that video um, of the tour of the office and yeah, um, if people that haven 't we 're going to tweet it out the same day that this goes live so they can have a look because it 's super cool. You put a huge emphasis on on making sure. Your hooligans are happy, right? And they're in they're in a really good environment. And obviously, you've put a lot of you've put a lot of time and effort and money uh, into making sure the office is a really nice place to be. Yeah. How 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 has people adapted to working from home? Have they have they taken to it really well, or are they missing that sort of camaraderie in the office environment?
2: Well, I think humans are very you know very good at adapting to new situations. I think quite quickly everybody got pretty used to it. You know, just um, uh, you know, luckily, you know. In this day and age, everybody's in the cloud, so there's no, you know, there's no you know, hard drives where there's information and that would be really painful. But now it's very easy just to sort of pick your laptop up and go home and work from home. So and then Zoom makes it very easy. And um, yeah, I think in general, I think people do miss, you know, the the sort of office banter and seeing, you know, some of their friends at work, and you do feel a little bit isolated being at home. So we sort of brought some other initiatives in, like we've had um, some mental health awareness weeks uh, during this period. And um, you know we've checked in with everybody, try to make sure everybody's looked after. We've done sort of pub quizzes and other little initiatives like that to try and create, you know, try and keep that sort of culture going. But it is tougher. There's, there's no doubt about it. And um, you know, I'm I'm very keen when we when the restrictions are removed to get back into the office as soon as possible. And I think a lot of people are. I think they're they're, they're quite keen to get back. Um, we've got you know we've got three satellite offices, and they're they're in London. Birmingham and New York and we probably will, I don't know when they're going to go back, but we may hold those a little bit longer and ask those guys to work from home a bit longer um, because of obviously the public transport was where we are. We're quite lucky we're a rural office really, we're out right in Tring in Hertfordshire and uh, everyone of our staff pretty much drives to work. So you leave your house, get in your car, you won't see anybody else, You get to work uh, and then we're going to bring measures in. We've Luckily we've got a very large office, so I think we will all be able to sit two metres apart we're going to obviously put hand sanitizer up on the wall everywhere, try and bring in a one-way system. Um, you know, Some of our team have been working quite hard on ensuring all the measures are in place for when we do go back, which I don't know, this month, next month, I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be. Do you
0: think there'll be many changes within Huel? Like you know, you hear a lot of companies now extending the working from home to twenty twenty one because they're obviously enjoying it and they, they know it works. Because a lot of companies <clears throat> have been forced into into trying the whole working remotely. That would have yeah. been against it, say in the beginning. Do you see any changes coming to Huel where you could even let some of the team or or a team work from home or work remotely and they don't need to be in the office anymore? Or are you planning on bringing everyone back in and? And happy, happily keeping it the way it was going forward.
2: Yeah, we're we're going. I I strongly believe that working in an office when you're all together, communication's faster. um, It's just a better place to be. I'm 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 absolutely convinced on that. So the working from home is uh, you know probably going to be there for a while. For the satellite offices. for the main office, is going to be back to normal as as quickly as possible. And obviously, we're going to bring all these measures in to make sure we we minimise risk. Um, yeah, and we're not gonna we're not gonna move before the government say it, it's safe to do so, and then then it will be yeah back to back to the office as soon as we can. I, I strongly believe that is a it's more productive. Uh, overall as an overall company some people can work really well at home some people can't work so well at home communication can be slow when you're not in the office and sometimes you know you, you um you, sometimes just like even just being in the office you pick up people pick up stuff and you know you remove the isolation we've got a better work environment some people don't even have the proper you know they, they might have young children at home they might have um, other people at home sometimes just it's just not I don't think it's it's I think it's just very difficult for some people to work from home and it might be no fault of their own. But I think overall as a business, I think is more productive to be together. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course. It's interesting where I live. I live in Shoreditch, which is obviously quite, you know, quite central in London and talking to neighbours and you know people on the street that I would regularly bump into. And a lot of them work for, for large tech companies and they're kind of saying... You know the salary that they're on which is really decent maybe they'll move to maybe zone three zone four maybe they'll move you know um out of london completely and have that extra cash and have that freedom and have the fresh air and everything but a spanner may be thrown in the works i'm not sure if you've guys seen about uh, mark zuckerberg saying that if someone moves out of a major city they're going to adjust the salaries according to where they move to what have you seen that julian if you have <laughs> no. what are your thoughts he's no. ruthless <laughs> yeah i've
2: not heard of that no um you know, we, we've we've for long benefited, you know, for quite, you know, when we first st- started, I started you all very close to my home, which is in um, Ellsbury, in Buckinghamshire. So it's outside of London. And, you know, when we first launched, there was a few people saying we, you would have to move into London eventually because there's talent there. And I disagreed and disagreed and said, no, actually there's good talent everywhere. And uh, it's got to look harder and there's less competition out here. But, yeah, for, we've benefited from costs, uh, savings for a long time, having our offices based outside of London. So... To put it in perspective, I think our we work, our, our eight man we work, is more expensive than a ten thousand foot uh, warehouse that's attached. Yeah. To oh. Main-
1: yeah. Geez, <laughs> that's on stat. Graham,
0: yeah. Graham so- you didn't you didn't notice? Did Did Mark Zuckerberg say that he was going to increase uh, salaries if they went to a more expensive city? <laughs> he didn't mention. No.
1: Funny enough, he didn't uh, mention you that. <laughs> yeah but it but it kind of uh a spanner in the works for people thinking they were going to um move to the countryside and still be on a you know 150 grand a year and live it up um but it's but it's 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 an interesting move and obviously twitter saying you know jack dorsey has said everyone can work from home forever um if they like
2: (coughs) yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure twitter does much development does it so i'm not quite convinced that they have to be that productive i think their their release schedule is pretty it's every few years they might do a tweak and that's about it so i'm not convinced um they're the yeah, best plus, example
1: plus when you when you look at um, what what Jack Jack Dorsey said about you know unlimited you work from home for the rest of your career in, in Twitter if you like is kind of like is it like the unlimited holidays thing where yes you can take 70 holidays a year but people don't
2: I don't know I mean I think I think um, it's, it's strange over because I'm quite old now I'm 48 so I've seen this sort of go through cycles of when working from home is seen as the most desirable thing to do and then people start working from home and realize it's not always the thing it's cut out to be. So, do you remember when um, I think it's um, who was it? Marissa took over at uh, Yahoo, and then a lot of people who were working from home. Then she realised that a lot of them just weren't doing that much. So she called them all back in. I think and made every uh, Yahoo will start working back in the office again. And then they'll mm. go through a cycle again, and they'll go, no, let's all start working from home. It's more productive. You can save money. You don't need so many offices. Blah blah blah. I, you know, I I think the way we've got it is pretty good. You know, you're outside of London, so you save money. But you're in an office where you're all together, so you get good communication. I think that's the sort of right balancing act.
0: I think it's down to the person, really, isn't it? Because like like I've been working remotely and so has Graham for quite some time. And it's always nice to get out of the house. Like you need something to yes. get up and go and get out. Like I, I totally get the, the commute thing where, say, it's taking me an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening to get home, you're going to save yourself 10 hours a week by cutting out a commute. And if someone was to turn around to me and go, look, I'll give you an extra 10 hours a week, what will you do with that? And you could really kind of put that to some effect when building a a business. I get all that. But at the same time, like for mental health and, you know, just getting out of the house, getting out of the environment, because everyone's different. And this whole thing about working remotely and working from home, Sounds great, and we've said it before, and on on previous podcasts, that if you have a a designated room or a designated office, that's fine. But if you've got distractions in the house, you know, like a lot of people will end up just walking to the fridge every every half hour, or I'll put a wash on while I'm here, and <clears throat> I'll go for a walk, and I'll do you know, and it's just like how much time do they actually get to work? Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to quickly ask you, Julian, uh, when it came to the spike in sales that you had there. Uh, when when uh, the pandemic obviously started, yeah, was that was that spike new business or was that a lot of your current customers just doubling down? On, on what they want because obviously Huel is ideal for, for something like this because as you said the shelf life is long and um, it's easily stored you can order it online like you could order a couple of bags of Huel and go there is my breakfast lunch and dinner sorted for the next number of months I'm yeah. in lockdown mode I'm fine so was it new business or was it recurring?
2: It was, it was both so there was definitely a lot of our existing customers they started well they realized you know when you start seeing the shelves at supermarkets clear out and pasta disappearing and stuff like that you start people started to panic so people panic bought yeah and so some of our existing customers they came back sooner some of our subscription customers moved their subscriptions forward so they get the orders quicker and uh, and then definitely there's a lot of new customers we we actually had to turn our turn our advertising down believe it or not um during that that month we we made uh it was a mega month for us in terms of EBITDA because we turned our advertising down and still generated 50 percent month-on-month sales uplift so it was uh it was a crazy crazy month um um but yeah you don't we don't know how well those customers are going to be because if they were sort of panicked by and say they were new customers and they hadn't necessarily bought into fuel the concept they may have they may have uh, just been panicked buying and thought i'll buy anything that's got a long shelf life and so it's inter- it's going to be interesting to see how how those um as customers perform over time in terms of sort of retention rate, Yeah, it so was literally just buying just to stock up for, you know, like prepper culture in America, just, just to buy it and stick it in a, in a, in a cabin somewhere, mm. then they're not going to, they're not going to um, not gonna rebuy for a, a long period of time.
0: But yeah. if they also never had it before, yeah. and this is the first time trying it, they could yep. be a, a, a customer for life.
2: Totally. Yeah. I, I, I certainly, like I said earlier, I think we we were incredibly lucky. You know, we, for no fault of a lot of companies, they've really had to go through, you know, crazy times, you know, furloughing staff. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of businesses which are going to be probably going under, I would imagine. And there's going to be a lot of redundancies. It's going to be a real sad, sad state of affairs for the economy once this coronavirus has gone. Because I think at the moment, the furlough scheme is obviously propping up a lot of businesses and propping up a lot of jobs. So I think when that's removed, I don't know how some companies are going to cope.
1: It was interesting because I did want to say that I didn't see Huel going in super hard uh, marketing wise saying, this is your answer. Was that something, obviously it was the, you know, obviously the supply and it was, there was a big uplift in, in orders anyway, but was there a part of your, was there a part of your brain that was like, we can't jump on this? Oh, totally. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah, totally. You you can't, you can't take advantage of, of uh, other people's suffering, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the right thing to do. It's one of our core values is you know do the right thing and that wouldn't be the right thing to do. So no, we didn't do that. Um and uh, you know there there was there was like I said we had to turn our advertising down. We had so much demand mm. that uh, we couldn't satisfy if we'd if we'd because um, obviously the CPM on, on Facebook actually came down as well. I'm not sure if you were aware of this. Yeah. But obviously a lot of people cut were cutting ads because um they they didn't have any stock or or there was no demand you think all the holiday companies and all the airline companies would be cutting ads etc so there's a lot of people cutting ads and uh, so cpms went down and demand went up uh, as in customer demand so yeah we 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 cut our ads dramatically in that month
1: mm. We did hear the figure of, of, we had the ex-head of brand for, for Red Bull on the show a few weeks ago, uh, and he, he said the figure of around about 30%, he's seen, he's seen it go down in, in some areas. Um, and, and actually, some, he said that's on average, sorry, and some areas even higher
2: yeah it was it was we we sold to well in eight main countries so we saw some dramatic changes in different countries and it was it was very spiky for a period of time so when you're when you're given a number out you have to sort of specify that the the the, um the time period you're talking about because it was very spiky so it it probably we probably saw bigger swings than that um but it could be quite short-lived so um it was yeah it was crazy time crazy time yeah um Julian, a lot of our, our
0: following and listeners are are all entrepreneurs and, and own startups themselves. And we normally ask them what they need help with. Like, what are they struggling with as entrepreneurs? And the number one thing that most entrepreneurs all come back with is sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And with you being, being CMO and also owning a company b- beforehand called yep. uh, Ma- Mashup Media. Correct. like. Can you can you shine some light on what you have tried when it came to to first setting up Huel and and how you got, you know, sales out there and how you got the brand out there? Because we've we've all come across Huel and we've all come across Huel in different ways. Like my first um, encounter with Huel was it was a T-shirt in the gym you know yeah. where i saw i saw someone wearing a t-shirt and, I was, and then i saw somebody else wearing a t-shirt and i was like what is this so i obviously googled it to see what it was so what works for you when it comes to to selling <coughs> uh, getting the product out there and also i suppose we'll get into brand and the whole lot after that but i'm just curious as to okay. what you have learned and what what works and what doesn't work
2: yeah so the first thing um, is the when people say sales and marketing that's sort of it frustrates me a little bit as a, as a as a marketing person because sales and marketing, they're not really the right things that are connected at all, really. They shouldn't be sitting in the same breath. Mm-hmm. And then quite often, then people use marketing instead of the word advertising. Advertising is only one part of marketing. So you know, you've know, got the four Ps, you've got the seven Ps. So promotion is only one part of that. So the product yeah. is obviously the key part. And if you think about, I don't know, is it Tesla? So they don't do any advertising at all. You know, so... You, but they still got an amazing business. They still are, have got an amazing brand and they do great marketing as in they make the product that people want to buy uh, and they do PR. They're excellent at PR and social media, etc. So th- there's different parts of, of marketing. And, and I, I do get frustrated when people sort of confuse the two because it, it's, it, you know, in an ideal world, you shouldn't really, you would not want to spend any money on advertising at all. If you make the perfect product that people really want, um, and you get the price right, you get the packaging right, then people should buy the product, and they will come back again and buy it again. So you shouldn't. I'm taking,
0: have- a, I'm taking of Apple here.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you shouldn't have to spend any money on advertising if you can do if you can get that thing right. Then you know you do have to spend money on advertising. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. it's, it's not um, it, it is fairly normal, but it shouldn't be the first thing you go to because if you try and if I take a, a rubbish product which is badly packaged with a poor brand. And I spend a load of money on on advertising it. I can sell it, but I wouldn't. It, it's not long standing. You have to keep spending that money. You have to keep spending it. What you want to do is you want to focus on the other stuff first and put more effort into that. You can always um, you can always you know, spend money on advertising, you know, poor products. But what what I what I'm more passionate about is get the get the product right, get the packaging right, and then people will buy into your brand a lot more, and they will become. It'll be more brought into your brand and be more loyal to you in the long term. And you shouldn't have to spend so much on advertising. So we spend a lot of time on on our product itself. We're very passionate about our product and our formula and the ingredients we use, um, you know, the website and the information that we give, the packaging of the product, the way it looks, the visual identity of that, try and get all those things right. And then, of course, then you do need to promote it. And um, the key things that work for us, you're correct, the t-shirt has probably been one of our best CPAs in terms of cost that um you know one t-shirt i don't need to tell you the cost but you can imagine how much one t-shirt costs and if you can imagine that each one of those t-shirts that one customer might wear that to their gym 10 times 20 times 50 times they might wear it to the park or around a friend if they just got one they just got one customer off the back of that one t-shirt that would be an amazingly low cpa much lower than any other channels we got if they got two customers even better so that that sort of thing has worked really well for us um how do you measure
0: that? We just on the, on the t- yeah, <laughs> we,
2: we don't. We don't. That is. That is. We, we have talked about trying to measure it. I just don't think you can really. So you could ask people questions, but I don't. I don't think that you'd get great data. I think it's just. It's pretty much common sense. We provide that T-shirt, the one that the the latest T-shirt we got is it's, um you know it's a custom T-shirt. We spent a long time designing it, um, and we think it's a really good T-shirt, and we we got a good price for it. So it's just. Basic logic, you just look at that and you go, all you got to do is wear that once. Somebody sees a name like you do, Google it, find a name, go, oh, that's interesting, and go and buy it. That, that is an amazing low CPA for us. So um, it's difficult to confirm, but I would say that that is true. Then I think in terms of other things that worked in the early day, PR definitely worked for us in the early days. And I think if you're launching a brand, I think it should be one of your f- main focuses. And the interesting thing is about when you're starting a business, if you start thinking about uh, PR if you haven't really got any pr stories then you are already fighting an uphill battle she was very novel when we first launched we got we in the first 3 months when well, the first month we was in i think we had a double page spread in the mail on sunday which is the uk's largest selling newspaper and um was in lots of other national press and magazines uh we actually did go down to a tv interview on sky tv but it got cancelled at the last second because of the blockades in Calais. So yeah uh, no. I think is really interesting because the the important thing is with a product if it's novel or interesting or newsworthy then it means other people will talk about it between themselves as well so not only the the journalists but like people at the in the office might talk about it if your product can't get if you if you can't th- think of a good PR campaign or it's not going to get news um news coverage then it probably won't get coverage in the you know, down the pub or uh, in the office or in the gym, people won't talk about your products. It's not interesting enough. So try and think when you're launching something that it needs to be interesting enough that p- that journalists want to write about it and other people want to talk about it. So I think that is, that was very important for us in the early days. Um, and then I think it's just that we we just provide really good service, and that's that we get customers come back off the back of that. But really, the main driver now we've tried everything from we've tried TV, we tried uh, out of home. Um, but really, digital is for for a digital. We're, we're not a digital brand, but we are direct to consumer. So we are we're on we're on you know we sell from the uh, our own website. So the digital is is really good for us. So that's everything from paid social, to AdWords, um, display, shopping, all of those channels. I think if you know again, if I was a small business starting today, I would focus on digital first. It's much more flexible, it's much um, much easier to, to measure and therefore it's much easier to optimize. And in some cases it self optimizes like uh, Facebook has um, uh, a very good algorithm to self optimize the ads. So again you don't have to do too much um, and creative is is super cheap to make whereas our TV campaign, it, it was an expensive you know we we try to yeah, do it I can imagine, cheap, but it's still expensive for us, and um you know i did some I did some number crunching off the back of it, and I was absolutely not convinced that you get anywhere mm. in the same ballpark as what you get from digital
1: yeah you you said to me um around about a year ago when i when I visited you in the office that you would you would never do or you can't see yourself doing a a brand awareness piece that you couldn't measure again yeah. Is can, that just? I was, because, I was
0: going to try and hit him up for sponsorship for the show. Brian, <laughs>
1: <so>. <laughs> but but it's it's that just because you know if you spend ten grand you get twelve back you know and you can just ramp it up is that is that why you said that?
2: I think when you're in high growth you need to get return on on your money. You can't just throw money away. I think I think a lot of companies that spend money on non measurable stuff. I mean they'll claim you can measure TV but you can't properly. So the, I think the big companies that spend money on that typically they are. They've been around for a long time and their marketing budget's probably been the same for 20 years. They've just allocated the same amount of money and they just keep doing it. So, I think if you're a smaller business, you want to be agile and you want to be, uh, you want to grow fast, you want to be able to optimize. And you can't, if you can't measure something, you can't optimize it. So, I, I'm not a fan of you know, you know, Red Bull have done pretty well by sponsoring all sorts of events. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, I, you know, you can't say that it. it it doesn't work. I'm sure it can work, but I think if you're if you're small, you've got to make every penny count. And I still think we're quite a small business. You know, we're we're a hundred million run right now, but I still think that we should behave and optimize as a small business because you you can just grow so much faster. I think we were lucky again when Corona came along that we didn't have TV campaigns because I don't know whether you know, but when you cancel TV campaigns, you, I think you lose like eighty five percent of the spend or something like that. It's Just this dramatic. Oh. Right. Whereas with Facebook and all that sort of stuff, you you can you can optimize hourly, to second, you know, you can just turn stuff on and off as you, uh, at will, really. So again, that sort of stuff was very beneficial for us. And again, a lot of people lost a lot of money on TV advertising when they they cut it.
1: How much time before before you launched you did did you spend doing the product market fit and research? Because when I when I visited you, you said that you actually. Um, put out a put out the website to get feedback, and you got sales before you even launched it.
2: Yeah, I spent uh, I spent a huge amount of time, but partly because it took so long to get the bloody thing made, that's why I took so long. All right, because, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I got it. I got. I probably spent uh, you know, to put the website together, to do the photography, write a copy, get the brand, get the name, uh, get the visual identity, um, all the sort of stuff that I had w- within my control. I probably got it done in three months, but then it took about another 12 months to get the product made. Mm. Um, So in that time I was refining and thinking and speaking to people. So, you know, tweaking and changing, making it better. But, it's still, it's still, effectively behind closed doors until you get a paying customer, you never truly know. And this is why they sort of talk about minimal viable product. The, the quicker you can get your product out the door, the quicker you're going to learn from the people who are actually going to buy your product, not from just friends and family or or other people that may say, "Oh yeah, I'd like to buy that." And then you say, "Well, give me your money," and they go, "No, I don't want to buy it." So you want to get it into the market as quick as possible. And um, yeah, we 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 had the, the the website live, and yeah, a couple of people. I was on a startup um, startup group on Facebook, just chatting to some people on there. It's called London Startups. And um, yeah, some people sort of said, What are you doing? And I said, I've just I'm just about to start this brand. And they just clicked the link and went through and actually started buying before I'd even I'd even um, I'd even officially launched. And so that they were our early customers, these people from those sorts of places. You're talking about how do you get your early customers. It's it's literally um, you know, you're just you're just finding anyone who would who, who would listen really in the early days. You email everybody you know. You go onto sort of places like that, into forums. You go into groups on Facebook, anywhere that you can sort of. You know, I wasn't I wasn't doing self promotion. I was talking, about asking questions about launching a company, et cetera, And just people interested in what I was doing. So you just you know, it's just it's just hustle in the early days. What
0: has it been like for for you with Hugh, because like myself graeme we're, we're talking about this before we jump uh, on the podcast that you you weren 't only just like trying to get people to try a, a different brand you know you 're actually trying to get them to to think completely different, you know as in like drink your meals you yeah. know in in a shake form, so you 're yeah. also trying to change people 's uh, frame of mind when it comes to food
2: yeah. so like ha- has that been tricky along the way? Yeah, it is tricky and um it's very interesting really when you think about it. We we persuade people to spend when we first launched, she always forty-five pounds for um two pouches, t shirt and a shaker. And um it's amazing to think that people would put their hand in their pocket to pay forty five pounds for something that they've never tasted and and it was a brand new sort of concept. So our conversion rate actually on our site is actually quite good. You know, I've worked at other places and I like Tesco's and stuff like that. So I know what conversion rates are like and ours is pretty good. So it's quite amazing when you think about it. And the one thing we did in the early days in terms of um, trying to not persuade people, but try to reassure people that they were making a good choice is that we, you know, nearly every designer's ever looked at you will go, your pages are too long. You've got too much information. But I always felt like give people more information because, if you're a little bit light in information, it feels like you're hiding something. So we've been completely transparent. We've over, we've written guides and articles on our site. Uh if you go to our fuel um, site now, the second link on the top nav is called uh, nutrition. And there's lots of products in our sort of space and they're not proud of their nutrition. They're not proud of their ingredients. We're incredibly proud of ours. And so we. it's always going to be in our top nav. It's always going to be very clear and it's extremely comprehensive. And it's like, I think some people look at it and go, oh my God, there's so much information there. I, I don't know where to start. But I think it's reassuring when you see there's so much there because you know that if I really want to go and find, the, you know, the... The minutest detail about Huel, it will be there. The information will be there. So you can be reassured that everything is there in front of you if you want to read it. And I think a lot of people just look at it and go, Well, I'm reassured now. And therefore they can go and buy. So I think there is, you know, persuading people online is never that easy. um, But we've done a pretty good job of it by being very transparent and being very information heavy.
1: Yeah. And I think you've, you've created so many, you know, brand evangelists. I actually seen a a meme a few weeks ago and it said something like it was kind of a guy with a thumbs up and it was like, uh, drinks Huel and tells everyone about it. Something along those lines that, uh, you know, kind of saying that if someone drinks Huel, they kind of brag about it and say, I have Huel for breakfast and, you know, I can whip it up in a minute and it's done, it's drank. And that's my, that's my breakfast. And people are quite, um, proud of it you know i kind of yeah. says, this, this, this this is this is a lifestyle thing this is what i do and they just tell people um and that's because because monzo in the beginning famously said that their their uh, cost per acquisition was zero for a long time right it was just word of mouth um yeah. which which you can't beat
2: no certainly i mean we we've got some incredibly passionate um customers hooligans you know we it's, it's you know it's heartwarming to see and it was it was um it was strange. Because in the, very in the early days, they they almost they they named themselves. Hewland comes from the, um, the, our customer base, and um, yeah, they're just incredibly passionate. in in very very early days, I was starting seeing these pictures of people being very proud to show their t shirt show their packaging. They were just like shown on social media, and I'd never seen that. And I'd worked for some good brands before, Starbucks and Tesco's and John Lewis and people like that. I never saw that level of engagement before. So it was it was. I think it's just because we've we try to make a product that I didn't start at Huel to make money. I started Hill to do something I was really proud of. Of course, making money is part of business, but that was not the primary that was not the primary goal. And I think people respond to that. I think if you try too hard to make any, every penny, you know, rip every penny out of a, a, each of your customers, there's something missing there. There's a little bit of heart missing. And I think that's that's not missing at Huel. We 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 make choices sometimes which are not um, you know. To, to make every penny they are actually to provide we want to be proud so we want to make things which are better so we always try and go that extra mile to make quality is more important for us than to make an extra few pennies here or there so we we will make changes which are um and i think people you know for the for the good of everybody is a better product is is packaged better um it's got better ingredients and i think people respond to that and they want to be associated with that and i think being a mission based business as well is very um is very uh, well, I basically recommend it to any company that's going to start. If you start with a really good mission, people respond to that, um, and it will help recruitment and it will help with customer acquisition as well. So I'd really. I'm
0: still, I'm still convinced they're getting paid to wear those t-shirts. <laughs> there's, there's too many of them. There's too
1: many of them. Sometimes there's more Huel t-shirts in a gym than Nike or Adidas yeah. <laughs> next well, next door.
2: It's a it's, Huel gym. <laughs> well, it's funny because one of our non-execs he used to work at um, he worked at Red Bull and also at Monster, and I think he said to me one. Day, Monster have got a big sort of clothing range. I can't remember what the, exactly the quote was, but he said he said at one stage they were the second largest clothing retailer in the UK or something like that. Something wow. they basically they they sold a massive amount of clothing, and um, yeah, we we get through a large number of T-shirts as well, believe it or not. So you know, it, it's uh, do you sell them or give them away free? they're they're giving away with a first order but we do have them on the site that you can come back and buy them if you wanted to and they people do do that we have some very nice hoodies as well uh, so we have some other sort of merch that goes with the brand that people want to be associated with so yeah we, we get through a lot of t-shirts and I think it's um it's been one of the best things I think if you if you give something away again it was it's, it was it was again starting with the principle of not making every penny like I didn't want to make every penny so I just thought when I gave the first order somebody's committed to putting their hand in the pocket to buy food stuff they've never eaten they never tried and and uh so i sort of it helps with conversion rate we give the free t-shirt and the free and the free shaker it helps with conversion rate it helps with um you know promotion of the brand so it just seemed like a win-win it seemed like a no-brainer for me and um you know if you look at uh happy meal mcdonald's i think that's done them quite a few favors over the years as well and it's quite strange when you think about lots of other restaurants they don't they don't do that it's any mcdonald's that really does it but clearly it's uh done really well for them. So sometimes giving things away for free, um, there's benefits for, for your company.
1: Yeah, something we touched on uh, briefly. We, we mentioned Monzo a couple of minutes ago. the the, new, the news came out this week that Tom Blomfield has moved to a presence role, um, and and got somebody uh, in as as CEO, already an existing employee in a, in a CEO. And obviously, you know, Twitter exploded, the fintech scene went crazy, blah blah blah. Uh, and he came out as saying, I looked at the all the shit I was I, I enjoyed, and I looked at all the shit I didn't enjoy, and all the shit I didn't enjoy was the CEO stuff, right? So I was like, right, I'm I'm moving to a president role that's where the vision is that's where the future of the company you know i'm going to drive this that's similar to what to what you did right you you moved to a to a cmo position uh, and then and then someone else took over a ceo um yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that because obviously we spoke about it before but, but for the people who yeah. haven't heard
2: sure yeah C- ceo role is tough you are going to be spread incredibly thin and um and You've got to be, well, you've got to be a jack of all trades, which I am in some ways. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be, you have to get stuck into stuff. But really my 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 background and my speciality is really brand and, brand and marketing. So, you know, when I was spending a whole month, it was just dawned on me one day, One, I think one month, I don't think I, I, I even looked at any marketing or any brand stuff in a whole month. What I had done is spent lots of time in meetings talking about finance, talking about operations, talking about human resources, talking about legal. And I just, <laughs> none of those excited me. And uh, I just thought, this is really weird. I'm now doing a load of stuff that I don't don't like, not very good at and then all the stuff that I do like and I am good at I'm not able to do because I'm I'm too I'm too spread uh, spread too thin so I just thought this this can't be this can't be a logical way to do to do things I need to find somebody who's good at this you know if I was doing finance all day long you'd get finance director in so so when when you're a CEO I think unless it's really in your dna i don't i think you get a proper ceo in Why? Why? why why would you treat that any differently i think people sometimes are a little bit scared to give up the ceo role because they see it as being the sort of the most important role but i remember talking to somebody before i said look they over time there'll be multiple ceos of um, nike of facebook probably etc cetera, etc cetera. there'd only ever be one founder if you're the founder don't don't feel like you're 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 now giving up your your company, and you're now going to be forgotten. If you're if you're the founder, nobody can ever take that away from you. So, um, if you're not good at being a CEO, give it up. So that's exactly what I did.
0: It's interesting that you say that and I and I'm glad you said that because there is so many founders that are listening to this that that think they have to be down as CEO you know like and that they think that the whole CEO thing really stamps down the whole I'm the founder I'm the boss I'm I'm ruling the whole company and it's only when we were talking to another guest who was on the show and they were talking about when they went for a round of funding and the investors were so impressed that a part of the the funding was to go to to hire a CEO who could who could come in with strengths that they weren't as strong at and build the company in ways that they weren't able to build the company. And they were so impressed that they were going to that they they could see this and that mm-hmm. they were willing to do it. And it 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 obviously really helped with them being able to stamp home the the, the and closing the round of funding.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So I, I know of an example of where it hasn't worked very well. The, the founder was the CEO, gave that up, moved up into the board, into a senior position in the board. And what he didn't realize, this is something quite important for founders to realize as well, that if you've got 50% plus of, of the company, you control the company. You control who's on the board, and um, and that's it. So it doesn't matter whether – if, if you bring a CEO in and he does stuff you don't like because you still own the 50% plus of the company then you could remove that person if they weren't doing a very good job but if you've been diluted too many times or you've started a company with multiple people and you've only got you've got less than 50% of the company then you probably do have to think a little bit more about whether you give up the CEO role because you'll be given up control of your company and if they start making decisions you don't like you can't do much about it, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how what the board structure. So think you have to think about the board structure. You have to think about the share ownership of the company before you just give up everything. So um, I don't really want to mention the company name, but yeah, I think that was something where they did did make a mistake. So it can it can be the wrong decision, um, but for me it was definitely the right decision. I still got the majority of the shares of the company, and um, I still. still take a senior role. I mean, some people may give up the CEO role and just, just, I don't know what they would do. They just might just take the founder title or something, but they might not. You've got to make sure you have a board seat and you want to make sure you know all the the meetings so you can still see what's going on. But then you can let somebody do uh, the CEO role and you could then focus on what you're really good at. So it's it's a little bit more nuanced than just giving it up. You have to think about the other things, how you will be involved, how you're going to add value. And uh, most importantly, just think about the, the CEO and the board if you give up too much control, then you won't be able to control that board and you won't be able to control the company.
1: Yeah, I know there was a guest that we we were actually lining up for behind the curtain um, uh, Chu Kao, he was the, the founder of Perkbox. I don't know if you've heard of Perkbox. Or, yes, or, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he and he basically, you know, was was leading it. And then he he moved into um, he moved out of the, the 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 leading role in the company. But when when we spoke to him, he was like, I'm basically the the brand ambassador now, right? That's he just speaks about Perkbox. He goes to talks about Perkbox. He does interviews, yeah. and he's more of a I'm the founder. I'm the brand ambassador rather than actually day to day running the company.
2: Yeah, that, that's absolutely great. You can totally do that. that that's absolutely fine. It's just, I was, I was just sort of trying to sort of just give a little bit of a, a warning that if you, if, that, if, if you bring a CEO in and he's great and he does everything or he, she's great and it's, they do everything that you want them to do and you agree with them, that's that's great. And you can do the founder role and go off and do that. I was just, a, I was just sort of just trying to just warn a few people that if you give it all up, it might sound really good. Just give it up and you can go and do that founder role. But then the CEO does have more power than you as the founder. Mm. Um, and therefore, if they start making decisions and you don't control the board, you don't own the majority of the shares, then – you could get in a sticky position. That's what I'm just trying to say. So, yeah, if that all works, advice. yeah, yeah. So just, 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 just bearing that in
0: mind. Yeah, we're probably going to run out of time here shortly. But I know at the moment, uh, Julian, you you give a bit of your time uh, yes. to to any startups out there that need your help. Um, how has that been going? Have you been getting much response to that?
2: Yeah. So um, it's a little thing we call Pledge Thirty. So I'm pledging thirty minutes of my time to different startups or different existing companies. Some of them are actually quite big. They've got multi-million pound businesses. And the idea was that um, you know, when Corona came along, uh, we tried to help out as best as we could. So we donated some of our product to the National Health and we then brought a, a discount code in for all National Health staff. And then the next thing we thought, well, th- this business is going to suffer. How can we help them out? So I decided that I could help out some businesses. So I just said, look, you know, people could apply here. Uh, on my linkedin page and uh if they've got i, th- I think we put one rule in you needed to have at least 10 members of staff because i felt that you know if you were just like a startup just with one member of staff then I'm, i can only help one person but i could actually help sa- possibly save 10 jobs plus if i can work on slightly slightly larger companies and um and the, the other criteria they need to have suffered because of corona mm-hmm. so and then yes yeah, so i've done I've done four four sessions so far, and uh yeah, the feedback from the guys they they said, yeah, you know they said it's been really good um, and one of them I'm going to follow up within a few weeks' time and see how they've got on so I've still got a, another backlog of people to get through as well so I'm going, to, I'm going to try my best to work my way through the ones who applied, um, but the response is very good, and there's lots of other people who did it as well, so there was a, I got in touch with um um a couple of other entrepreneurs they offer their time kindly enough as well so you know i'm only one person so we wanted more entrepreneurs to sort of offer their time to, and there's always somebody that you could help so it's a very it's gonna be a very tough time so i think we just need to muck in and, and help each other
0: yeah well you can certainly add us to the list if you if you need <laughs> any more help that is okay. like you know if, if there's anything you think we can help with we'll, we'll, we'll sure. absolutely help out
1: okay yeah great Thank you. Great, Julian. Look, we're, we're nearly, it's nearly at 45 minutes now, but look, thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy man uh, between Huel and, and helping other people as well. And we, we really appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it too. Thank you.
1: Cheers, Julian.
0: Cheers, Thanks, bye-bye. Julian.
2: Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye
1: thanks everyone so much for tuning in if you are listening to this on itunes please do leave a review because it really helps our rankings and also if you're listening to this on spotify please do share it with your friends make sure you subscribe and thank you so much for listening make sure you check out the next episode